He's going to name a reality of what's true about you, whether you've actually embraced it and whether or not you know it or not. And so as we dive in today, I want you to recognize the goal at the end of the day is we want to take Paul's words of what he names as the reality about this church in Asia Minor and recognize it's timeless. And so it's a reality for you also. And that should challenge you because I think you're going to see this and go, I'm not sure I'm actually living out this reality. And that should not fill us with like condemnation, but with excitement of what's already true for you that you've yet to grab hold of. And the idea is you can think of this way. It's like there's been this like big wrapped present with a really big red bow on top that makes it awesome. And it's just been sitting on the table for you for a really long time. And there's a really good chance you haven't opened it. That's the idea for us this morning. So have your Bibles turned to Ephesians chapter one, verses three through ten. Let's read together. It says this. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, where he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's interesting when we read these verses to recognize in the Greek, in the original language, this was one sentence that was 202 words long. It's one sentence. It's the ultimate like ongoing sentence, run on sentence per se, right? It's 202 words of one really, like I, like, listen, I can read it again and make it one. It's like I can hardly breathe, right? And the idea for Paul, and you can get this picture, is that, man, there's such a level of anticipation and excitement. It's like, I just got to make this one sentence. Like, I just got to get the whole thing out because you have to understand how I see you because how I know how God sees you and this idea of blessing. So if you read through that, what you find is in verse 3 and talking about all these spiritual blessings. And then he names all of these spiritual blessings that define the reality of who they are as followers of Jesus. Right. He describes who they are in Christ. And so Paul begins Ephesians 1 with a long sentence of unbelievable affirmation about who God is to them, and their reality of who they are in Christ. Beautiful affirmation, talking about all these things, adoption to sonship, right, redemption through his blood, freely given us the one he loves, all this type of stuff, right? You can read these beautiful spiritual blessings that he has poured out, and the idea is that he wants to take this moment and define for them a godly reality of who they are in him. Because what he understands is that we live our lives, and I think you'll understand this, we, we live our lives all the time, every day, with dueling realities. Dueling realities. 
that we have on one side this reality of God, and on the flip side we have this reality that we wrestle with in our flesh every day. And we recognize there's a tension sometimes, right? The, the, the wrestle of our flesh versus the spirit, our, the, the how God views things versus how we view things, right? A, a godly life versus a, 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 a sin-filled life, right? A worldly life, whatever it may be. So there's always this dueling reality. And so for Paul, when he's coming and saying, listen, there is a dueling reality, but there is a godly reality that must define us. And that's where he's starting this dueling reality Focusing on the godly reality. So one picture of a dueling reality. I, I was watching the um, coverage of her, excuse me, of, the, of Harvey, the Harvey flood in Texas, and and I saw this picture and I saw this video. Some of you may have seen it. Of the guy in his house playing the piano with floodwaters basically up to his knees. Have anybody seen that that video? Yeah, yeah, it's really really powerful. And and as I was watching the video the other day, I thought to myself, this is a dueling reality. See, what you may not know is this guy who's in his name is Eric Harding, and he's a pastor in Houston. And in the moment, right, his son was, they're in the house and they're trying to get things, and the son is scared because he's afraid this is going to ruin the piano. And the dad says, no, 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 let's just sit down. So he begins to play the piano, and they're videoing it, right? And in the midst of this tragedy, honestly, you watch the video and you just kind of get lost in, in the music in the moment, Right? And so what we find in a couple different levels is this dueling reality. On one level, you see, like over here, it's like, yes, it's a tragedy. It's traumatic. It's, it's overwhelming. But then there's just the beauty of this man who's not worried about the water. He's just playing music, captivating in the moment. Because I don't know if you know this, but music was created by God to captivate us. That's why in Scripture it says that David's playing his harp and demons fled Saul. There's something powerful and beautiful about the, this work of music, this creation of God. But the other dueling reality is he says this. He goes on and says, I think it's all finally sinking in a little, as Eric Harding said. What we used to have going as a city is gone. He's naming a reality, right? But then you see this dueling reality, this godly reality. He says, I really think God is going to do something completely new here. I am excited to see the new beauty in the suffering. Like, do we see the tension? Do we feel that tension? Like, he's naming the reality. He's, re- he's naming the, the trauma. He's, he's, he's naming this dynamic reality of tension that he never would have chosen in a million years. And he's saying this. I think it's finally sinking in. What we had is gone. But then he has this perspective, this reality of God over here. He says, but in the middle of it, right, I, I think God is doing something new. And I'm excited to see the beauty that will come out of the suffering. He's seeing the presence of God. He's seeing this reality of God that the waters don't define him, right? The, the, the everything being ruined and destroyed is not overwhelming him. What he sees is the reality of God's movement and focusing on the beauty that God can bring from hardship. You see, this is the dueling reality that we suffer with, that we wrestle with. We were at the lake this weekend. Randall's mom has a lake house. Praise God, we get to go use. We don't have to pay for it. We just get to go. <laughs> right? And so we went with some of our friends. And we're sitting on the dock. These are my friends from college. And, and, and all the kids had gone upstairs, right? Just the adults hanging out. And, and one of my friends, Amy, said, she goes, all right. Because these are like, these are like 
some of our really close friends, all right, let's talk about our marriages. How's it going? Right? And we're like, there you go. Let's dive in, right? How's it going with our marriages? Like, that's what you're looking for, right? You want friends who ask those type of questions, right? Like, you want real friends who don't just, like, talk football and talk about life and shopping. You want real friends who ask you hard questions that make you process life, right? So I'm like, well, let's dive in. And so we start talking about our marriages. And it was really, really funny because one person began to tell a story, and then all of us began to tell a real similar story. And the similar story was this. There was a moment in each of our lives when financial hardship overtook our marriages, overtook our lives as couples, right? Like ours. There was a season. We lived in Omaha. We ate PBJs all day long because we couldn't afford anything else, right? And so the church found out about it, and they started, they came along and did benevolence for us. And that was really humbling in the moment, right? But we were able to receive that. And we told the story of, of God breaking pride in that, of, of using humility to, to awaken our hearts to, to his provision, right? And our other friend told the story, said, yeah. And they both told stories of, yeah, we literally had reached the point that we thought we had lost everything. And they both told stories of literally, we woke up in the morning, go, is this the day we don't have food for our kids? And is this the day? we lose our house. Like the reality of that moment's overwhelming, isn't it? We've, a lot of us have experienced similar moments in our lives and they're talking about this moment and we started talking they begin to, and they all said the same thing, we all said the same thing, but, but they said this, but we wouldn't trade that for anything. Because from that moment, it broke us of our pride and awakened us to the reality that God is the only one who provides for all our needs. And it humbled us before him and made us thankful for his provision. And now we live forever with that moment in our lives to remember God's the only one ultimately who can provide. And I looked at this and said, would you trade that? Oh my gosh, I would never want to go through it again, but I praise God for my hardship. Because I found him and he met me in the moment. Do you see the nature of dueling reality? Like you don't long for those moments. You don't go, God, make my life miserable. No, you don't ever pray that. You don't pray for traumatic events. You don't, you don't pray for hurricanes, right? But what you find in this understanding of God's reality is that there's this dueling reality where either I get lost in the moment of the hurricane and the trauma of life, or I look and say, this is horrible, I hate it, it's overwhelming, but I find God in the moment and he can produce life in it. And that's our dueling reality. Paul's coming in the moment, he's looking at Asia Minor, they are the minority. People are literally not long from that moment going to be start killing Christians, right? This is happening. He's saying to them, listen, you live as a minority in Asia Minor. No one likes Christianity and no one's going to like you. It's going to be really, really hard and that could be your reality. Or you could find God in the suffering and recognize in the middle of all that you are so blessed. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And so do we get lost in this? Or do we take our eyes off of the storm and look to Jesus? You remember that Bible story, Peter? You remember that one? He's walking on the water and all of a sudden the storms come. He's like, ah, and he starts to sing. He says, look at me. This is the reality, dueling reality in our hearts. And so are we going to, in that moment, are we going to turn for our friends and for our own story? It's like, I would never trade the hardship. I would never trade the wondering what's going to happen. I've never trade the tears 
because of what God spoke and taught and did in the moment. God wants to shape our lives with a faith. He wants to shape our lives with a trust and a confidence in Jesus. Where in times of hardship, difficulty, moments where we don't see God's blessing, we, rec- we recognize the reality that he is moving and he's bringing beauty. See, that's the nature of dueling reality. We're going to get lost in the hurricane. Or we can look and find Jesus. And let me just say this. It's like, that's not easy. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, you say you should feel bad, you can't see. No, I'm saying, like, it is a hurricane. It is a wrestling. It is a difficulty. It takes all of our energy to say, God, I can barely even look up today. He says, just look as high as you can because I'll meet you. That's the nature of who he is. And so Paul's trying to awaken. So, so let me begin this whole thing, Asia Minor, the church of Ephesus. Let me begin the whole thing by just stating God's reality. That's what he does. He sends 202 words of one long sentence to, with great excitement to paint the picture of who God is to them and the reality of who they are in Christ. And so when you read this, it's not just so you can become knowledgeable about Ephesians. You can tell everybody else about it. No, it's so that you are changed. The spiritual truth in this moment is this. The spiritual one, this, listen, I want you to hear this before I put it up on the screen. It's a spiritual truth, and hear this, it's birthed by faith. Like faith in God's goodness. Like faith in you trusting God. Like a faith that says, come hell or high water, I will believe and I will trust and I will live into Christ. So this is a spiritual truth that birthed from faith. You can say it, even though you can't touch it, feel it, or see it sometimes, right? It's this, our greatest difficulties are the moments of God's greatest investment into our lives. Our greatest difficulties are the moments of God's greatest investment into our lives. This is practical. This defines your life. How do I know this? Well, what do you do when your marriage starts sucking? You get help. You take something you haven't invested any time into, and all of a sudden it starts suffering, and you go, oh, we try to find help. We start talking to people. We go to counselors because we start reading books, Right? Something happens to your child, and you've been kind of doing life and child, doing that, you're like kind of hanging out. All of a sudden, something dramatic happens to your children. What do you do? You stop everything to help them, because in their greatest moment of difficulty is actually when you stop and get the greatest investment, don't you? Your friend who's suffering and struggling, what do you do? You say, honey, I've got to go hang out with so-and-so because they're struggling. Your spouse is like, that's great. You go and be with them. Give them more. And they're saying, give them more time than you've been giving them because they need you right now. And so the idea for us is that our greatest difficulties, our greatest trauma, our greatest difficulties in life are the moments of God's greatest investment, his pouring himself out into our lives, right? He walks with us through difficulties. He brings us peace in the hardship. He brings victory in places where we feel defeated. God brings healing in our greatest hurts. That's this God reality. And so often we get stuck here. So Paul is writing to all the churches. He says, all right, let's start with reality then. Let's start with your reality. Let's start with what's true about you. Let's talk about these spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon you through the person of Jesus that you've given your life to him. The first thing we find, this is really, really fun. It's past tense. Praise be to the God and Father, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who... 
past tense has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Which means you can't, listen, you fight to pay attention. Because God's speaking this truth of reality that you're not living in. And you're just giving in this other voice in your head right now, kind of going off in la-la land. And God's trying to speak a reality about you that if you will embrace it, will change everything in your life. Don't pull away. And so in the moment, first thing is past tense. It says when you gave your life to Jesus, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms became available to you. I mean, that should make you stop. That's when you go, oh, my, really? Already? I don't have to earn it? No, you can't earn it. What do I need to do? Nothing. It already belongs to you. Well, that's pretty crazy. I know. God's crazy in love with you. It already belongs to you. It's already, and you're, it's like a president sitting there waiting. Or, but we say so defined, looking at our storm, looking at our felt reality, looking at this, this hurricane in our lives, that we can't even see this. And Paul saying, wake up. I want you to see what's true. So it's spiritual blessings. The idea in these past tense blessing, a blessing in the New Testament, it's on the screen. It speaks to the idea of shalom, the receiving of every joy, every benefit your heart and soul needs and longs for to bring peace in our inner core, no matter the issues we face in life. So when Paul is talking about spiritual blessings, he said, you have already, past tense, received blessings. What did I receive? Well, you received every joy and every benefit your heart and soul needs and longs for to bring peace in your inner core, no matter the issues that you face in life. Is it easy to, to apprehend? Is it easy to recognize? No, sometimes it's a long journey. It takes fighting, struggling to get there. It takes the wading through the waters to get there, right? But it, it's already there. It's a provision. It's given to us. And Paul's trying to awaken them to the reality. The struggle sometimes we face is that we have a hard time separating godly blessings from earthly blessings. And that what we think of blessing sometimes may not be what God calls blessing. So let's just take one simple thing in life. Let's take money. How many of you have ever prayed? You can, you're all going to raise your hand. How many of you ever prayed for more money? You prayed for money. Some form of fashion. Sometime, I don't care if you were three years old or 45 years old, right? I'm not saying like the next, yes, we all have like, I'm not raising my hand. I'm not raising my hand, right? You all did this, okay? And so, and I, my question for you. Did God answer you and give you lots of money? Have you ever won the lottery when you bought a ticket and prayed to God and then you used the thing? Because God, I'll use it for your glory. Right? God, I'll help churches. I'll give it to needy people. Right? And so in the moment, right, we're literally, we're in, in the struggling ourselves, living in Omaha, eating PBJs. I'm like, God, provide, God, provide, God, provide. And God's like, no, not yet. Mm-mm. My friends, right, who literally, he was, a, he was a builder. I mean, crazy story of God's faithfulness. Meeting him, like literally wondering, where's my next meal coming from? Thinking today's the day my house is being, he literally, I mean, like I'm, I've heard his story. It's an hour and a half long story. I, now, I can hear it every day. It's so powerful of God's faithfulness in the moment, right? And in this moment, it's like, he's like, ah. And he's like, and he says, I wouldn't trade this. Why? Because in the moment... When I'm praying for these things, God's saying no, because right now if I give you money, then you will start leaning into it and trusting it 
rather than leaning into me and trusting me. I'll provide for all of your needs according to my riches, not to give you surplus so you don't need me anymore. So a lot of times God will say no to money because he realizes that once he gives it to us, we'll just kind of go the opposite direction and just begin trusting ourselves and taking care of ourselves. And so what we view as blessing, God says, mm, it would destroy you. I'm not giving it to you. Why? Because I love you too much. How many of you are thankful that you didn't get the person you prayed for about marrying when you were 20 years old? I know Randall is. Now, I am too. So I'm just going to say this without trying to go through a list of things to say, so this is good, this is bad, this is, I can't do that. What I can say to you, because here's the deal, money may be a blessing to you and a curse to me. I can't answer God's questions in those things, right? So what I can say to you is this, we need to discern what God views as blessings versus what we view as blessings. For many times what we view as good isn't, and what we view as bad isn't. And we have to wrestle with that, don't we? Because we've been sold a gospel that says that God's going to make you happy, and that's what he wants to do. And if he doesn't make you happy, he's not from him. And that's just bull. God's desire is to give you joy. And we talked about that. A shalom through receiving every joy, every benefit your heart and soul needs and longs for to bring peace in our inner core, no matter hell that breaking loose outside of my life. There's an inner joy, so I'm not, listen, which means I'm not always angry, which means I'm not always sad, because I'm not always anxious. There's an inner joy, it's a blessing. It belongs to you, past tense, as in it's already there. So what are a couple of the blessings he names here that we can learn from? Number one is adoption. He names adoption here in, in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship or daughtership through Jesus Christ. Because that's what he wants. Because that was his pleasure and his will to do that. It's awesome. So adoption. Do you all understand this word? Adoption means we're part of God's Family. So God is no longer just king and lord. He is your dad. He is your father. That means what happens? If he's our father, it means we get access to him. So let's just for the fun of it and giggles this morning, pretend that I am the president of the United States of America. Okay? I don't aspire to that, trust me, but what if I was this morning, right? And so you know what happens. We have a, we have a, a one of our family members, he's a, he was Secret Service for George Bush and Barack Obama, right? And so I love hearing his, his stories. He's got great, great, a lot better stories than I could ever tell, right? Great stories. And so we talk about, I said, have you ever had anybody come running across the lawn, you know, towards the White House? And so he's like, yep, we have. I said, what do y'all do? He says, well, out of all my duties, one of them is sniper duty on top of the White House, right? And he's like, so basically, God comes running across. Sniper's like, who is it? Do I need to take him out, right? Hold on, so we can catch him first, right? Because you got to stop them. They don't have access. And so, so they go running out, and they tackle the guy. We've seen stories about this, and planes try to fly in. They tackle them and take them down, whatever it may be, right? They don't have access. Let's say I'm president. Let's say Anna Catherine and Sarah, my daughters, they go running across the White House lawn. 
Sniper sees them and goes, oh, it's just Anna Catherine and Sarah again, right? Just let them go, and they kind of start watching binoculars. There, there, there go the kids, are chasing each other, right? And then they get to whatever door they want to go into because they have access to the White House because it's their home, right? And so they go running in, the Secret Service sees them, they open the, good, good morning, it's Anna Catherine and Sarah. They're running in, everybody who's carrying their coffee and their computers, right? They go, oh, it's the size of, there goes Anna Catherine and Sarah again, right? Running through the halls of the White House, right? They start going up, I'm in the Oval Office, talking to some head of state from some random country, right? And they go running in, they go past my secretary, right, who's sitting there, and, and, and they're like, you can't go. Oh, there they go. Right. And they go busting through the door. And, and I'm dad. Stay, stay in this guy right here. Head of state sitting right here. And I go, hold on a second. My daughters are here. I've told the head of state that my kids are more important than he is. And they come running over, hopefully, and they come sitting over and they're going to like, they're probably going to probably have me like negotiate some argument they're having, you know, how kids are, right? Or they're either just going to tell me they love me, that's the best thing in the world, right? And they come over and we start talking, and I've totally forgotten about this dude right here because my kids are here. Because kids have access when they're adopted as sons and daughters of the king. They walk in and they have access, right? Every, like, oh, you can do, you can come at any time. You've been adopted. You have access. Adoption means inheritance. Listen, if you're the poorest person in the world and then you marry the richest person in the world, you know what that makes you? The richest person in the world too. Like that. That's awesome. God's inheritance. Adoption means inheritance. Like this type of stuff, man, it has to sink in. Let me just say something to you. If you took this week and you meditated, what I mean by that is you stopped with all you're doing, you sat down, you focused on Jesus and said, Jesus, let's ponder and talk about adoption together. Within one week, you would be absolutely and completely a different person. Because as you all of a sudden opened yourself up to the nature of having access at all times to God, to, to, to the recognizing of inheritance and what that means, or the third part of adoption, which means security. Like you have security in this relationship because he's for you and loves you because he's your father. And you know, I don't know if you all know this, but children can be difficult sometimes. They can create, we call it patience. What we really should call it only is long-suffering. We have long-suffering with the hardships and the difficulties of our, the lives of our children. What do we do? We're like, oh, I just can't deal with that. And we turn away and, just, and get rid of them? No. As parents, you say, no, I will suffer long. I will never abandon my child at any moment. And if we do it for our own children, how much more will God do it for us? We're never abandoned. He literally cannot abandon us because he's a good father. Does that mean anything to us? Do we see the power of that blessing and what that means is a spiritual blessing that already has been passed since become a reality for you? What happens if it comes alive to us? Then we walk confidently. I mean, there's nothing cooler than going to some big event and the person who's in charge of it is either family or your best friend. Like last night, Victor had his opening of his new mellow mushroom over at um, the avenues. You all need to go. It's, been, it's amazing. And I'm sitting there going, it's like fan, family and friends. But I'm like, 
brother and sister right here. All right. We're a little more important than all of you guys. I'm walking around feeling that. Like, we're with Victor's mom. Like, that's a pretty big deal. She gave birth to him, right? We're, we're with Victor's mom. Right? It's like this deal. It's like, there's just this dynamic of like, man, we belong. Like, we're important. We have access. That's who we are. How would that change your life? Second part, blessing, redemption. It means paying a ransom. Redemption, paying a ransom. Just say, God forbid, like someone took my child and, and said, it sent me a ransom note. And so I redeemed them by how? By paying the ransom and then getting them in return. So Jesus says, listen, you were in captivity. I went in and ransomed you and paid off. The ransom, and then I got you, and I took you back home with me because you belong to me. This is powerful. This is the spiritual blessing that defines our lives, right? This is a couple of the blessings Paul is talking about. But it's so much, listen, the idea is that, that blessings are so much deeper than what you just long for in your flesh. They may seem somewhat similar, but they are far richer than we usually realize. These blessings speaks to God's reality for us, that can and should define every moment of your life. He's trying to awaken us, Paul, to the fact of who we are before he does into anything else that we need to do in life. We each wrestle to this dueling reality in our life. And I just wonder, pressing pause, if you're honest with yourself, do you feel it? Like, do you sense the dueling reality in your life? Do you recognize it? Do you see the things that you want, but you're not really sure if they're God's best, but you still want them and you get frustrated if you don't get them? Are you aware of like tension and hurricanes and all these things that happen in your life that just send you in a tizzy and, and you're sinking in the water? Then you, you can be playing the piano and expecting the beauty of God. This is the reality we're talking about. We live in this wrestling. We live in this tension. I'm not saying it's easy to go from this to this. I'm not saying that. But this is the reality. It's a dueling reality. Duels are never easy. You remember back in the day? Hey, I'm at you. i got a great idea. Let's get some guns. Go back to back. Go ten paces and turn around and shoot each other. That's a great idea, right? That's a duel. They're at odds with one another. They live at odds with one another. Our flesh and our spirits. Our spirit man and our earthly man. You know what I mean? Our flesh, right? Spirit's like, they, they wrestle. There's wrestlings and all of that. There's a tension. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Are you super aware and confident in faith every day in the midst of your hurricane and storms that there's beauty that's waiting? Paul's reminding us of who we are. And remembering God, knowing God, knowing his reality, who we are and whose we are, it keeps us from being offended by God when we don't understand his reality in situations. Remembering and knowing who we are and whose we are keeps us from being offended by God when we don't understand his reality in situations. Faith in God. Focusing on God, keeping our eyes focused on him, allows us in every moment to say this. God is for us. He loves us. We trust him. And we will not be offended. God is for us. He loves us. 
we trust him and we will not be offended. Though the waters may rise up, I will play my piano and expect beauty to come, right? God is for us. He loves us. We trust him and we will not be offended. Why? Because our eyes are so focused on him. We are trusting his reality to be fulfilled because we know that we're adopted. We know that he's redeemed us. Why would he waste his time doing all of that just for us to live in hell? doesn't make any sense. You know, you think about, uh, if you haven't been here, we have a good friend in India named Tammy who um, has been there for a long time, almost 18 years. She has a children's home. She's raised all of these kids who came from the streets and other places, right? And she's like their mom and super close. And we've been praying for her because she'd been blacklisted. They're trying to kick, by 2020, they want every single Christian out of India. Lots of our friends have been kicked out, and she was on the blacklist. And, and it was to require a miracle. So we took some days, we prayed, and we fasted along with her and just began to cry out for a miracle. And a couple of days before she was coming back into, and you'll talk about this last week, so you've probably heard the story, but, but she was coming back in about three days before she was like literally just praying. And she sent this email out. She says, remarkably, I feel at peace. Like freedom hadn't come yet, right? Breakthrough miracles hadn't come yet. She goes, but I, I feel at peace. George Mueller said that the beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. And I can tell you that while nervousness comes into my heart and mind, it does not overwhelm me and I am filled with hope and peace. I'm not struggling with anxiety. I'm sleeping great. I feel rested and I really believe with every fiber of my being that God is going to do a modern day miracle on August 30th, which he did, right? But she didn't know it. I haven't always felt this, but something shifted in me in that three-day fast. God stirred my faith in such a way that it's almost impossible for me not to believe him. In this moment, right, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, listen, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, Robert stole my thunder. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We'll still worship God. God can, but even if he doesn't. Because our faith is in him. No matter what the outcome is, because we see him. He's for us. We've been adopted. We have an inheritance. He loves us. He's redeemed us, right? So we're good. Dueling reality. Tammy in this moment, right, said, I believe. But even if it doesn't happen, it's going to be good. My mom 21 years out of my 23-year life before she died was sick. Like, I never got to go do fun things with her because she just was sick all the time, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, right? All this stuff. I don't want to go into all of it. It was overwhelming for our family, right? So I was sometime in college, probably 18, 19, 20, and I, I asked her one day, I was talking about it, and I said to her, I said, because we were talking about, she's like talking about how God had moved in this season. And I looked at her, I said, would you trade all of these years? Would you trade all those years knowing where you are today with Jesus? She goes, absolutely not. 
She said, I would not know him today apart from the things that I've had to wrestle through and the hardships that I've dealt with and really in the idea of making beauty in the midst of her hurricane. And my reality for us this morning is when I hear her say that, I go, I wrestle with that. Like, that's hard. Like, I feel a dueling tension inside of me about the hardship and the difficulty and what I don't want, but what God allows so that I can have growth, right? And for us, we have to say, God, I, I need to stop telling you what is blessing and let you tell me. I need to stop dictating to you how I feel and what's going to happen because, God, I need to hear you. And Paul would say, and it begins by just recognizing that you're his child and that you were blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven, and that's where we have to begin. And we need to take time to allow that reality to overshadow everything else. And we may find ourselves running to God and beating him on the chest saying, I'm so angry. And he just embraces us like a father does and says, I know Get it out. Just get it all out. I know. So we can awaken his reality inside of us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, even as I praise and I talk about this, God, it's like a, I just reckon each person has their own journey into this, God, this dueling reality of, frustrations, of tensions, of fears, or numbness they have before you, God. And I just want to ask this morning, Jesus, that you would take each person who's here and that, Lord, in the moment of their own tension, the moment of their own hurricane, that, Lord, you would just open their ears to not get answers to why, but get answers to who you are in the middle of it that you're with them, that you're for them, you have not forgotten, that you love them, that they are adopted, that they have inherited, and that they are redeemed. That God, they have access to you. I pray today, God, that you would, like you did with Peter, you would turn our eyes to see you so that faith could arise. God, there can be no faith apart from seeing Jesus. There's no faith apart from seeing because you are the object of faith. You're the seeing you is the only thing that produces faith, trust, and confidence in you in life. Open up our eyes, Jesus, today to see you. For those who are wrestling this morning, I pray for breakthrough. I pray, I pray for vision in Jesus' name. I pray for discernment, God, to see you. I pray for an awakening like Paul did in this 202-word sentence to awaken them to blessing. I'm asking that you would awaken them, Jesus. Awaken all of us, God. We need you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. This morning we're in a time, time of worship. We're going to a time of worship. And in this morning, I invite you to respond. We have ministry teams that will be coming forward. They'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Hardships, difficulties, things you're wrestling through. Just needing God's grace and mercy. We're going to pray for you. Offering baskets here every Sunday. Why? It's a... It's our act of worship of saying, God, nothing can control me and definitely not money because I give back to you what belongs to you. We have communion available. In this, we celebrate every Sunday the gospel 
the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as we take it, it's not just so we can remember from the past, but in remembering, God makes it alive to us again. Yes, that I did do this work, and it's still alive and real today. I have fully redeemed and ransomed you. That's the good news. So this morning, just before you jet out, I'm asking if you would take a moment before Jesus to respond, to listen and to respond to him. And as you respond, let's let God do his work. So I'll be coming back up here in a few minutes to pray us out. But you respond as the Lord leads this morning.